0: Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the archipelago. So,
1: have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Wow,
0: what is that silver object? Twenty-first century Squad.
2: Secrets of Area Fifty-One revealed. I'm Comserie,
1: Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mom.
3: It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with the Living Deep, the podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness and the weird world in which we live. I'm your host, Taylor, and across the virtual desk from me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how are you doing?
2: I'm good. Good evening. Uh, Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really excited that we are finally going to reach the outskirts of our destination, Hellier um we've had our road trip for the past couple months i mean it feels like our entire this whole entire podcast has been sort of leading up to this in a way
3: in many ways
2: yeah how are you doing how you feeling
3: i'm good i'm good yeah we just um just came off a a a good weekend um took the kids to uh well one of them to their first convention Mm. um could have been to a convention before, but they both got the chance to meet Adam Savage from Mythbusters, uh, which is a pretty awesome experience, mm-hmm. so we uh, we enjoyed that very much. And now we're, we're winding down August, getting ready to start September and go into a blistering heat wave.
2: <laughs> oh, jeez. I- I'll tell you, I'm ready for the fall. I'm ready for the winter. I'm ready for anything. I mean, is it? hopefully it's not going to be triple digits, 365. Hopefully we haven't scorched the earth that badly yet, but...
3: Ugh, it feels like it's getting there sometimes. Doesn't it? Yeah. 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 But we're supposed to, I think Saturday, Friday or Saturday. No, I think Saturday. We're supposed to be like 107. Ugh. Yuck. And I'm like, no. Yeah. Not a long weekend.
2: <laughs> I know, right? Labor Day weekend. I don't want
3: to spend a long weekend inside. Right? Huddled by the air conditioner. Totally. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway. Anyway. Um, well, I, I tell you what, Seb, it's, it's, it's a new month. Oh. Mm. We're, we're, we're kicking off our three-part book at Hellier, mm-hmm. uh, so we're going to get into lots of weird. Mm. Why don't you tell me what's new in your weird?
2: Well, i got to tell you, this month I discovered that the Small Pebble, which put a huge crack in my car's windshield, my brand new car's windshield. I know. Happened almost exactly at the same time that a small pebble shattered one of the mirrors on the James Webb Space Telescope out in outer space. So that's that's kind of funky. Okay. Um, I have to say, though, that um, thankfully after an eight-hour wait in a auto dealership waiting room today my windshield has been replaced with a brand new one that does not have a crack in it so um i think i have one up on the james webb space telescope I, I get the feeling that maybe they can't easily go out there and make a replacement um
3: yeah i i don't think you can just call safe light and have them uh replace a mirror a million miles out into space although
2: that would be nice wouldn't it
3: that that would be nice. that would be
2: nice i mean yes. you know, maybe someday right uh totally but, um w- w- totally what's new and you're weird
3: um well I tell you what I will I will hit the small things first mm. and then I will dive into I'll try to keep it short because I know we have a lot to talk about tonight a very weird experience I had last month um it occurred to me because we're recording this on the 29th of August um, that today is the third anniversary of the season two trailer dropping for hell oh interesting yeah okay slightly synchronistic moment and kind of today it seems like greg basically without saying it in as many words confirmed that season three is definitely happening. no way yeah wow yeah i feel like it's always kind of low-key kind of been there it's like look when when we feel like it's safe to get out you know there's there's still more story to be told and and more research and stuff like that mm. um and yeah i think Think it's, I think it's happening kinda yeah. soon here. Oh so gosh. fingers crossed. Who knows how long it will take to produce. Uh, but I know they've got other stuff coming down the pike for us soon enough. But yes, I just wanted to like share that exciting yeah. news. Now, now the interesting story. Uh last month I spent a good few days thinking that the phenomena had sent me a case of Motorola. What? Words I never thought I'd say <laughs> aloud. Yeah, so um gotta basically a a new very slightly used engine for the bus Mm -hmm. from a friend of mine uh for a really good price um and basically was like okay i've got to change some parts over and such and such and such um what what kind of motor oil have you been using it and so he told me what kind and i'm like okay cool that's you know that's the brand that i was expecting to find and so i go looking online just to see how much it is at say like AutoZone versus Amazon or O'Reilly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like, you know, eight bucks at AutoZone for a quart and it's like five bucks on Amazon for a quart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh boy, I feel a little nervous ordering motor oil off Amazon and having it shipped in a box. Mm-hmm. I'm like, anything could happen to the box, I could come home and here's this big oily box. Yeah. And and not have anything. So I'm like ah i'll take a shot i mean the price is good so i ordered up six um just so i had plenty for a couple of oil changes and um so i I get my tracking it's a third party retailer it's it's not coming directly from amazon which sometimes is good sometimes is weird so i I get this fedex tracking number and i'm like okay cool tracking the package tracking the package get stuck in new mexico for a while and i'm like uh all right, all right, shipping supplies, whatever. And I finally, I get on the phone with FedEx. I'm like, guys, when's this thing getting out of Mexico? Like, I'm totally expecting it. Right. And they're like, oh, it should be um, getting on a truck uh, this evening. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, cool. Right. I'll, I'll watch for the update. Kind of taking them at their word. Who knows what they're actually saying and meaning and looking at their, their computers and stuff. So literally that same afternoon, just a few hours later, I was with a parent at Karate. And I get a little text ping saying, "Hey, it's over in Tracy." What? And I'm like, uh, "That that's weird."
2: That's a fast truck.
3: I'm like, "That that's physically impossible." Yeah. I'm like, like even if they had put it on a plane, it'd come into Oakland, mm-hmm. not the not the Central Valley. So anyway, we get home from karate, and there is a Walmart box on my front porch with my name on it. Okay. Um, for the record, I have never in my life ordered from Walmart's website. Okay. And I'm like, that's really weird. And I open up the box, and there are six quarts of motor oil inside. Hmm. And I proceed to lose my mind. Okay. Because I'm like, what is this? How did this get here? Mm-hmm. Um, what's coming from FedEx now? Because I'm really confused. Yeah. So the next, I think the next day it was, okay. this FedEx package is supposed to be delivered. And I'm like, okay, well, hey, you know, I mean, I guess worst case scenario, I end up with twice as much oil as I paid for. Okay. I'm like, hey, six quarts free, right? And I'm after work, you know, we're, we're, we're hanging out in the living room and I'm kind of like dozing off a little bit. And I get a little ping on my wrist from my phone being like, hey, your package has been delivered at the porch. And I look out to the porch. and like, no, the porch is (laughs) empty.
2: Wait a second. Wait a second. So you ordered a case of motor oil. Yes. And the, the website's saying, it's, it's en route, it's not here yet. And the first case shows up unexpectedly. And then and, right. the, and then later on, the website's saying, oh, it's here, it's been delivered, and there's nothing there. So it's like the reverse of each scenario, situation, or something.
3: Um, a little bit, but especially because the Walmart box came via a different delivery service than FedEx.
2: Oh, shoot.
3: So that just appeared out of nowhere. Okay. To my eyes. Right. Right. So I'm like, what is going on? So I like I'm going between like you know FedEx's Twitter help account yeah. and messaging with them, and then I eventually get on the phone, and I'm like, okay, I'm getting really upset here, yeah, because I'm I feel like I'm totally getting the runaround. Okay, like I, one of the people that I had talked to, I think via Twitter, was like, um, let me confirm your address again, and they're like yeah, that doesn't match what's on the label. And I'm like, wait, what? So I get on the phone, and the person who I speak with actually had worked at Amazon uh, for a while, and I'm like, okay. And so I explain what's going on, and I'm like, I'm really kind of at my wit's end here. Because all the information I was given says that I'm supposed to get this package, and now I'm told that it doesn't match my address and my name.
2: So it got delivered to the wrong address. No, I mean, it didn't. Hold on,
3: hold on, hold on. Let me tell the story. So, I'm like, I I understand that you can't tell me whose name and address is on that label. That's fine. That's fine. I don't need to know. Can you at least confirm for me that the label says Livermore, California? Right. And they're like, yes. I'm like, okay. And you can confirm for me that it's definitely not addressed to me. Okay. And they're like, yes.
2: Okay. And I'm
3: like, okay. I'm like, okay, so I know not to expect that package.
2: Okay, right.
3: Right? But I have, at the same time, this case of Motorola that I have no idea where it came from. So in the grand scheme of things, I have what I need. Right. But then I go, well, what the heck? I go to Amazon and I'm like, hey, my package never showed up. Yeah. Here's this FedEx info. That package never showed up. Yeah. And I get this completely like form letter response with, bad english and the whole thing is in quotation marks <laughs> like they copied it off something and and said oh it's uh we're sorry about this that and the other thing and it's it's suddenly out of stock mm. um so so we're refunding you oh your purchase price
2: so you get motor oil for free
3: i effectively yes oh, that's at awesome. the end of the story yes wow. i do have that but at the same time i still don't know where this won't. Came
2: so I think I think what here's my theory.
3: Okay, tell me your theory and then I'll give you the actual answer.
2: Okay, here's my theory. You go online, you order motor oil from Amazon. Yeah. It ships. It ships to the completely wrong person. Correct town, but wrong person. You do not get the motor oil. And then at some point in the future you travel back in time, <laughs> and you order a replacement box of motor oil to show up at that time when you needed it the most. That's my theory. By the way, isn't it weird that both of our weird things that happened this month were automobile-related? I don't know.
3: That's it's true. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's a right. That's a good point. That's so a good point. That's my
2: theory. I'm sticking to it.
3: Okay. I like that theory. I love that theory. Okay. I would have been fine if the universe just knew that somehow I needed it and provided it. Yeah. So... You know, like two days later, I'm still kind of like... It's just kind of nitpicking at my brain. Yeah. And so I, for whatever reason, decide to go look at the seller's reviews. Okay. Not necessarily the reviews of the product, the reviews of the seller themselves Mm. on Amazon. And one of the first things I see... Is somebody complaining that, hey, I ordered up motor oil and then I get this box from Walmart.
0: Oh.
3: So what's happening, and I kind of talked with Kobe about this because he kind of understands how some people choose to operate as third party resellers on stuff like Amazon. Is that they'll totally say they have product. Yeah. And they'll say they'll have product at, you know, a price X. Uh Right. They'll get your money. Go place the order through somewhere else where they can get a cheaper price and pocket the difference. Ah, brilliant. Um, And a bit of a pain in the butt. At least to me. When you, when you give me tracking information, I'm expecting that to be accurate.
2: So the vendor gave you the tracking code for another purchaser in the same town, but by mistake? Yes. Oh. Yes.
3: A, a, for, for somebody else in my town who ordered uh, something.
2: okay.
3: It may not even have been the same item.
2: So there's some other person in Livermore recording a podcast right now where they're complaining about some motor oil thing, and it's the other end of this scenario, you know?
3: Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe. Anyway, that was far too long. <laughs> for me to explain but there we go that that is the weirdness it was good no that, that was a good one me. That was, yeah that was a good one yeah i i definitely was having one of those moments where i'm like i don't even know what is real anymore what's going on <laughs> anyway anyway well folks we are here we have spent months heading down route 112 and now we've taken exit 93 to wind our way over hills and through hollers. we have finally made it to hellier oh yeah this is our first part of three discussing the documentary from the team of Planet Weird. We're breaking this 15-part story, so we uh, cover five parts in each episode. Now, if you've never watched Hellyer, we're not going to give you the strict play-by-play. So definitely seek out the documentary first. It's on YouTube, it's on Amazon Prime, or heck, go support them and buy the DVDs. Um, We are going to go through um, the parts of the documentary that felt most important to us. We're going to discuss um, uh, those parts that made The Greatest Connection along with some interesting insights and some suggestions, even some theories. Now, if you haven't watched it in a while, or you're taking the bold move of listening to this before watching it, thumbs up. Let's see how that goes. Here's a quick abstract of the case.
1: In 2012, I received a panicked email from a man named David Christie, a man who claimed that small alien creatures were emerging from an abandoned mine shaft near his rural Kentucky home and terrorizing his family. While initially skeptical of his story, David followed up his emails with a collection of photographs which showed the three-toed footprints left by the so-called goblins, and what he said were even images of the creatures themselves. Then, he disappeared without a trace. According to David, a man named Terry Wrist had referred him to me. I'd never heard the name before, and the only reference to Terry that I could find was in the appendix of an occult book titled Secret Cipher of the Euphonons in an interview which discussed his exploits cracking extraterrestrial codes and infiltrating underground alien cave bases. Then, in 2013, I received a cryptic email from Terry Rist himself. The emails contained what appeared to be GPS coordinates and a note asking why we stopped investigating David's case when we were so close to the answers. Terry never emailed again. In 2017, spurred on by a flood of synchronicities, filmmaker Carl Pfeiffer contacted me about the case, which had long since gone cold. Convinced that the story warranted following up, Carl recruited paranormal investigator Connor Randall, and along with my wife Dana, a lifelong hedge witch, we traveled to the heart of the case, a small mining community by the name of Hellier, Kentucky. While there, we continued to be bombarded by synchronicities and, most unexpectedly, uncanny connections to the Mothman case, which transpired in 1967 in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. In particular, connections to an alien entity who went by the name Indrid Cold. By the end of our time in Hellyer, it was clear that no one by the name of David Christie had ever lived in the broader Pike County area, yet we left with the feeling that while we'd gone to eastern Kentucky in search of goblins, We'd found something else inside those mountains. Something old. Something asleep. Something that was already waiting for us to find it.
3: So yeah, there's Greg giving you this case in a nutshell. Um, And there is a lot more to it than that, but boy... I think he did a better job summarizing it than I possibly could have, because believe me, I've been at parties, I've been around friends, and I've tried to describe it, and I do a terrible job describing it because there's so
2: much. (laughs) And that's just a brief summary of the first five episodes that we're talking about tonight. There's 15 total episodes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, hey, so I've got to ask you, how did you first stumble upon Hellier or hear about this show?
3: I, I don't even remember who it was, oh. but it was somebody on Twitter. Okay. Um, I think it was that. I don't think I heard it, like, recommended through a podcast first. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure it was that. And I was like, huh, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I wonder what that's all about. Um, and then I saw that, obviously, you know, they, um, they actually make the episodes free. Mm-hmm. They're, they're they're all free. You can actually go download them in, in really high quality. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking gigabytes per file uh, from their website. So I did. Oh, cool. Like right away, I'm like, boom, got, got home from work that day, went to their site, just downloaded them one at a time. And I'm like, cool, I can slap these on my phone. I can sit around the computer. I can watch them wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, let's dive in.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and and it, yeah, it, it I make no bones about it. I make no bones about it this documentary changed how I look at weirdness. Yeah, you know- By, th- by leaps and bounds. Y-
2: y- you've, you, we, we have both consumed paranormal and strange content since this, when we were little kids, as long as I've known you. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. seems like this has been the one that's had the biggest impact on your, your views, I <clears> guess, <throat> guess. You know?
3: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, it just, it's, you know, and I feel like I've explained this maybe on other episodes, um, or, or back on our old podcast, if memory serves. Um, but there, there was a time when like, you know, ghosts were ghosts, UFOs were nuts and bolts, Bigfoot was a lost primate, uh-huh. you know, uh, or an undiscovered one. I shouldn't say lost. Like he doesn't know where he's going. <laughs> You know, all these things were were looked at by me as separate things, mm-hmm. and and one of the one, almost one of the first things I think it's even in episode one um, that Greg talks about is like making the connection mm-hmm. between different things it's like if the ufo guys talk to the ghost guys and the ghost guys talk to the bigfoot guys the bigfoot guys talk to the the people into fairy lore or whatever and they could see the similarities and the connections Mm -hmm. you know there there there'd be just this greater overall understanding of things and i kind of went whoa i i I really hadn't considered that before uh and so i started you know, whatever, whatever, like paranormal podcasts I was listening to at the time, or shows that I was watching, um, or or books that I was reading. Because boy, this is a documentary that uh, definitely has quite a book list. Oh yeah, going for it. In fact, I'm going to keep a link in the show notes for the next three months. Uh, somebody on Goodreads, which is a website, uh, came up with basically like the Hellier bibliography. Oh, cool. Um, and it is a like grand master list of. Um, you know all the books that get significant mention uh-huh. uh, across the documentary, which I'm sure will get added to at some point soon. Um, and and I started reading a lot of these books buying and 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 reading a lot of these books and yes i'm i'm seeing these connections um and these similarities where i didn't see them before and i i feel like my perception uh of the phenomena of the weirdness that surrounds us all the time Mm -hmm. uh has changed significantly in what the past four almost five years now Mm
2: -hmm. and and you know listeners to our show will have been very familiar to our many references to year in previous episodes, and references to the "quote unquote" phenomenon, capital P. How this seems like the perfect episode to talk a little bit about what we actually, what you actually mean when we say the phenomenon. Like, how <laughs> how would you define that?
3: Oh my gosh, um, that might be one of the toughest questions I've I've ever faced. Um...
2: Hellier is the first paranormal series of any kind that I've ever watched. That brought that concept to my attention. you know what i mean right so it was eye-opening right. in that sense
3: yeah yeah i know i know at times they joke about <laughs> um you know the phenomena being like you know the the extra member of the team like you <laughs> know the the writer mm-hmm. of the story mm-hmm. uh, or producer um I, you know however i choose to answer this i'm certain that it's even weirder than what i think it is right um it's it's like this this universal palm olive, right? We're all soaking in it. Mm. And for those of you guys who remember what palm olive is, thank you. Give yourself a gold star. Appreciate that. Um I don't I don't I don't know, man. I don't think it's like a single consciousness, like like a like a god I put in air quotes or whatever, that's looking out over all space and time and kind of poking the petri dish. Um it's more collective. It's it's interactive. Mm. Um it's you know, I mean, people talk about kind of like these, like, repositories of, like, all all of, let's just say, human experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, some people use the Akashic Records uh, as that. I, I don't know if I prescribe specifically to that terminology, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think there is some sort of almost Jungian collective unconscious where, like, we are not separate from the universe around us okay we're we're a part of it and being part of it just like the cells in a body Mm -hmm. you know we kind of all on some level like i don't don't ask me to define what some level means you know we all kind of have some sort of same frame of reference (laughs) For all this kind of stuff but then i wonder i'm like okay if there's intelligent life elsewhere in the universe are they reporting weird sign sightings of like humans in caves or forests Oh, weird the way that we're reporting like you know oh hey here's these aliens and they they made me space pancakes or there's a goblin in my in my cave or there's a bigfoot in my forest <laughs> you know what i mean yeah 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 i, I always get
2: the feeling like the phenomenon like before hell year if I ever thought about a phenomenon, like I think about something like magnetism, like magnetism is a phenomenon. But right. but, but it, it almost seems like Phenomenon, capital P, is something that is, from how they describe it, it's something that's everywhere. It's something that is aware of us. It's something that mm-hmm. is aware when we become aware of it. Yes. It's something that has... A wicked sense of humor which is kind yeah. of bizarre yeah um and that's like that's as close and that's not even a definition but that's as close as i can get to it de-
3: no absolutely i agree and and i like i said whatever we think it is it is probably way weirder oh
2: right yeah totally than
3: anything we come up with and and this is this is one of those things where i kind of get like oh god we're going to talk about this um i i struggle at times to convey my thoughts on it. And we are going to be talking about some really kind of crazy, heady concepts between mm-hmm. now and November.
2: It's like as if an ant were in my house and saw my television and then tried to explain to all the other ants what that was all about.
3: Right. I mean, definitely depending on what you're watching. Totally. Uh, no, that's I mean, that, that honestly, that's a great way to um, to describe it, mm-hmm. you know, and at the same time. In a sense, using that same analogy, you know, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, a single ant or a, a line of ants marching around somewhere, you can see where they are headed in space and time.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're heading
3: for that crumb on your counter. Right. From that hot pocket you had for dinner mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can poke the Petri dish, as it were.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: You can affect... Right, their future by making a change to their path in the present.
2: Right. I could I could move that crumb to a place they've already walked through before in the, yep. in the line, and then they would freak out and be like, wait, we just walked there, but it wasn't a crumb there oh, yeah. five seconds ago.
3: Right. Exactly. And so think of it from the ant's point of view. They're like, hey, here's this crumb ahead. There's food. All of a sudden, poof, it's gone.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: Right? And that's 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 the analogy to us experiencing the phenomena, why stuff will appear or disappear, or there'll be a strange sound or or a strange feeling even. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or some sort of event, some even a synchronicity that goes Wait, I shouldn't go down that road. I should go down this road.
2: Right, right. And
3: something happens as a result of that. Um, no, that's that's a really good analogy. Mm. Absolutely. So I want to talk uh, first episode, right? The Midnight Children. Uh-huh. Um, we're looking at basically um, early mid twenty twelve i can't believe it's 10 years ago i know right already when this stuff was happening um i did work up like a rough timeline based on um dates and stuff in the series um and also kind of like cross-referencing a couple of things just to be like okay well they say october but when when in october mm-hmm. and then figuring that kind of stuff out um so we get the backstory on greg and dana how they met how they became a couple and you know uh living up in canada at the time, and uh, Greg had been part of a ghost hunting group, and um, the website's still around, and it has an email. And just periodically, he checks it. It's like, oh yeah, like more spam probably, um, as all of the emails get. And then he gets this weird email from a guy who calls himself David Christie, mm-hmm. um, and he says basically, there's these weird creatures kind of terrorizing my family and my property. I live in this little teeny tiny town called hell you're Kentucky and I'm a doctor Mm -hmm. Uh, and they go back and forth over a long period of time this is not like this is not like the way you and I email yeah sometimes where we'll swap you know half a dozen emails in a couple of hours Mm -hmm. right this is very different um but again Long story short, because you can watch the documentary and see it all. Here's some pictures. Here's a footprint in the mud, a three toed footprint with dermal ridges. Right, yeah. Which that's one of those things that, you know, people who make casts and molds and props and stuff go, That's that's hard to replicate. Um and so okay, interest is peak. Um, uh, more time passes. And uh so now now we're getting um I think the I think like the footprint photo happens in June of 2012 it's august almost september uh-huh. um before he gets another email so this is months in between yeah. um and david christie air quotes uh has fled it's gotten so bad they've had to get out of town which town is a relative term <laughs> if you've ever looked to tell you're on a map it's a very relative term it's a grouping of homes more or less um but he's going back, and he's going to get more photos. Now he's got like a ruler next to the footprints. He even gets what he claims are pictures of the creatures. Mm. And you know, when you see them, they look kind of, kind of alienish.
2: Oh yeah, they're really creepy.
3: Oh, very. Some are just blurry blobs, and you're like, not. I don't, I don't know. But then there's one that's kind of like, oh, oh, oh boy. Um, now, so what do you, what do you make of the emails? Like. Why were these big gaps in time in between? Like, if if you received these emails, uh-huh. like like what are you to make of that?
2: Um, they're 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 intense. They're scary. They're it's it's a crazy story. It's literally a crazy story. But at the same time, your heart goes out for the guy because he's basically asking for help. You know yes. what I'm saying? He's, yes. he's not saying, "Hey, you should come down with her down here with the film crew so we can." Monetize this phenomenon, you know what I mean? He's like, I'm literally terrified. I don't know if it's safe to, for my family to stay here or not. Um, yeah, the photos kind of like push it even to that next level, just mm-hmm. because it's it's not like one photo of one track. There's like multiple photos of tracks, you know? Right. Um, and they're really weird footprints that I don't know what kind of animal, if it was an animal, could have caused it or created them. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, it's it's. I mean, again, I'm I'm no. I'm I'm a little more outdoorsy than than Craig says he is. Um but yeah, that's not a track that I would certainly recognize. Yeah, totally. Right off the bat. Um if you were if you were someone who was, you know, very interested, um, you know, In strange cases, in weirdness, and and we're in a position to travel. Would this kind of stuff be piquing your interest to go, you know what, I think I want to go check this out?
2: I think so. I mean, there's there's a part of me that, you know, would always have like... Like the movie Deliverance in the back of my mind, not wishing to slur our our rural friends out there in Radio Land or whatever, but um, you know, I mean, it is it is kind of a creepy thing. I mean, in Greg's case, it sounds like he was kind of in a weird position because he was, I guess, he was going through Canadian immigration at the time or something. Correct. So correct. Yeah. Like. This guy's in Kentucky, and he's basically saying, please come help me or something. And Greg's kind of stuck in Canada at the time. I don't know how the immigration system works or whatever, you know, but I I assume you have to stay there for a certain time for residency purposes or something. Uh,
3: Yeah, something like that. I don't know either. And, And really, it's not, you know, all that pertinent. Uh, uh to the case um but yeah it is this is where here i'm gonna take what's happened and i'm kind of gonna veer off into some sort of um speculation all right here we go um because you know making the assumption um that uh, david christie is real right and based on the information in his email it would have been around august of 2011 okay that he first moved to and started living in Hellier okay so the 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 nature of the emails the nature of the information it's one of those things where i feel is intriguing enough to be like it's it's trying to draw you in it's it's trying to draw you to a place right for for what purpose you just kind of have to assume it's to investigate just this little kind of goblin sighting right right this issue um and i think at one point i think i think part of the interview with dana was like you know it it really kind of like set me on edge it it felt like we were trying we were getting drawn to this place and i wasn't sure that that was like a good idea basically
2: yeah she's definitely of the team the person that's like the more cautious of strangers like more stranger danger kind of situation you know
3: yep yeah yep yep i will i will absolutely agree with that um so so then my mind goes okay if if something We'll, we will just say a person. Yeah. Because, you know, David, in his emails, mentions, oh, yes, a mutual acquaintance turned me on to uh, this guy named Terry. Okay. Um, and I, if I remember right, it's like he said to contact you. Mm-hmm. And there's there's really, and trust me, I've tried searching, um, there's really only one place that name pops up, and that's in the secret cipher of the UFOnauts by Alan Greenfield.
2: Right, which is, for the listeners to our show, as you will... No, there's always usually part of each episode where Taylor runs certain keywords or terms through the the cipher to kind of get mm-hmm. some cipher hits, and that's where this comes from, basically. Right. It's like a book right. from like 1994. Uh, anyway, go
3: on. I, I digress. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and 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 in it, you know, Greenfield interviews this let's say character terrorist a couple times. Right. Um and um obviously. You heard him mention and kind of what his deal is back in the little intro that we played earlier. So anyway, um, I looking at a little later in this first part, uh-huh. um, there is uh, uh, when they actually finally are in a position where they can actually drive down to Hellier. Yeah, right. So they've they've now moved into the Cincinnati area, and it is October of 2015 at this point. So years later, right? Yes, years later, and so they go down. They stop at a place called the Lookout Gas and Go in Elkhorn Creek.
0: Okay.
3: Um, and um, apparently, from what I understand, the pizza there is awesome. <laughs> it looks good. It, it does look good. It's actually, it's, it's Hunt Brothers mm. uh, Pizza, which unfortunately the nearest one to us is Colorado.
2: Oh, my goodness. Yeah.
3: So I'm making a point next time... My family travels back to Tennessee to visit some of Kobe's family. I'm going to find some of that dang pizza ah. and try it. I really want to try some. But they were raving about it. Anyway, um, one of one of the people they talked to said that there was this big old ufo that hovered over the town for hours right and this was something in news
2: coverage newspapers local tv stations yes it was a pretty big deal in that part of eastern kentucky around pike county yeah
3: yeah it 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 certainly did and so for whatever reason when i was doing the rewatch um to to take notes for this this really stuck out for some reason Mm. right so this happened on tuesday october 16th 2012 okay Okay. Um, and that was only about nine or ten days before Greg and Dana went down to Brown Mountain okay. in North Carolina with Micah Hanks and they show that later uh in this first season. Right. But let's, let's, I want to talk about this giant UFO um, experience because I decided once I found a couple of news articles, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'll link those in the show notes as well, I hopped over to a website that I've mentioned before called ufostalker.com. Okay. And so I tried, it's a little clunky, but I managed to find a way to search by date.
2: Okay.
3: And I search, search up October 16th, 2012. Mm-hmm. Thinking maybe there's you know one more sighting. Okay, I find a ton of sightings. Really, I find an absolute bunch, and I- I'll put at least some of them. Okay, uh, in the show notes, um, I might just go ahead and put all of them. But and I'm going to bring up just a couple here. Um, let's see. Uh, there, it, it was sighted as far away as Grundy, Virginia. Oh, okay. Uh, Summary, it was a cylinder. It hovered in one spot high in the sky for at least two hours, then moved away slow. Also saw several orbs, a cross-shaped craft fly by, and a small orb come down and went right by us about 30 to 40 feet away. Whoa. Yep. Um, There's another one here bear with me. I'm clicking in, 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 into each of these. This one's in Pikeville. Okay. Horizontal ink pen shape in sky hovering. Many jets kept, jets kept flying by it. I saw three within 15 minutes. My cousin and others watched it for hours and they saw more than 16 jets fly by it. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so we've got Virginia. We've got Kentucky. Um, here's one. Uh, Belfry, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, very large mirrored object seen in the sky for over an hour. It was huge. Uh, mirrored It was a huge mirrored object that turned like a bird while soaring.
0: Hmm. Uh,
3: All of these, October 16th, all of them in the same time frame. Uh, Williamson, Georgia. Okay. Um, Which, actually, no, I'm sorry the the sighting location is different than what the map and um, what the summary say. An object was spotted hovering near Williamson, West Virginia. Okay. Forgive me. During the daytime, witnessed by many, an unidentified flying object uh, spotted hovering, cylindrical shape, duration two hours. Um, uh, which is funny because the little map that it shows on this page that I'm looking on, um, uh, not too far from Williamson is a town called Zebulon, and I will explain why that's important in my head in a little while. Okay. Um, I swear there was one in here that was Tennessee as well. So, I mean, we we're talking easily four states. Yeah, here's another one. That's West Virginia. Um, I've got a note here that this one was particularly weird. Let me see what it says. Um, this oh Johnson City, Tennessee. Here we go. Um, okay, here's the a detailed description. Okay, bear with me just for a second here. It says, I was in my front side yard taking pictures of flowers and felt a presence. Okay. I stood up and turned facing west and was going to take pictures of fall trees when I observed a long circular white tube which had thin black segments at regular intervals extending from object in the sky that curved toward me. Look, I'm I'm reading it as it appears, yeah, so yeah. some of the grammar is going to be terrible. Um, at end of tube appeared to be a dull metal shield, which opened like your top eyelid, revealing a man who appeared to be in his early 30s. What is happening? Black curly hair, with a beard and mustache dressed in a white robe, seated, and appeared to be working controls. The surface at the end of the tube appeared to be oval-shaped and had black edges with amber color in middle, but I could see man inside.
2: Holy Tess!
3: Man never looked at me, but I felt like I was not supposed to observe.
2: Oh, jeez.
3: I even remember remarking, So that's how they do it. As the tube (laughs) retracted back up to the UFO and disappeared into the bottom of the object.
2: Oh, so that's how they do it. Wow.
3: (laughs) Yeah, this took about 25 to 30 seconds. There was no sound. There were no clouds in the sky to obstruct view of object. There was no wind. At first, I thought it might be a satellite in the sky. (laughs) Oh really goodness. that was first okay i was kind of nervous and felt really strange about what i saw but nothing happened i questioned if i really saw what i did see Jeez,
1: my brain just kind of melted
3: yeah it, it it's crazy and then it's there's a whole like um i wasn't afraid of it didn't think it was gonna harm me went back to my house for five minutes came back out to take more pictures and see if it was still there it was um and then for like a little bit, goes back to just taking pictures of their flowers and their tree and stuff. It, it's really, it's really weird. But, but, but the thing
2: is, what what you found, I think, is brilliant because you put this timeline together and. This was something I've never read anywhere else about Hellier, which is the fact that, hypothetically, let's say that Greg and Dana did go down to Hellier, did go down to Pike County in, like, late September, early October 2012 with the film crew or something to investigate this, right? Right. They may have been there when this happened and filmed some of this themselves and experienced some of this themselves.
3: Right. So so I have basically a theory that the, the original emails... Yeah. From David, we're trying to get them to go to Hellier uh-huh. for basically this big UFO flap.
2: Right, right.
3: Um, and now, there was a later news article that dismissed it as a Google Project Loon balloon. Um, now, Project Loon was uh, basically, um, uh, I mean, effectively giant weather balloons setting up a network to be able to provide internet coverage. Oh, Okay. Um Project Loon shut down in October of twenty twenty one and I figured, okay let's see what these balloons look like mm-hmm. so I do a Google image search okay, and I'm not joking. I look at every single image in those results, okay, not a single one of them looks like the pictures you see from that um TV news segment Uh, in the documentary Mm -hmm. they do they look far more like weather balloons Mm -hmm. than they do giant cylinders in the sky okay all right so it's it's not that i i definitely don't think it was that okay um so i really think that whether it was terry wrist the phenomena whether they're even the same thing who knows um because we eventually show that david christie probably probably not real right right so so something was trying to get them to be in this place i believe at this particular time
2: now now correct me if i'm wrong it's been a while since i've read the secret cipher of the ufonauts but isn't sort of the thesis of that book the 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 idea that you can use um the cipher and derived from occult sources to sort of predict the time and location of UFO sightings?
3: Yes. So. And I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the thesis okay. of the whole book. The whole book is really weird to read. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to just take it in segments. But some of what it talks about and some of what Terry Riss in particular talks about Uh Um, because he was applying the cipher to uh, the Mothman incident Uh in Point Pleasant in 66 and 67, just kind of like as practice to see what comes up. Uh And as the, the story goes, it was through that that he figured out where injured Cold was living and went and met. Right. Because I'm thinking, what if, let's pretend
2: Terry Wrist is a real person or is a you know, pseudonym for Alan Greenfield or whatever. What if that cipher actually does work and the person, Wrist, Greenfield, whoever, used the cipher to predict the time and location of this big UFO flap mm-hmm. and then wanted to get some investigators down there for whatever reason. He didn't want to go for himself. I don't know why. And kind of cloaked this invitation to go to this place at at a certain time in the wraparound story of the David Christie goblins. Right. It's interesting.
3: It is interesting because it is one of those things where you would have had to have been in, you know, almost five years earlier, four and a half to five years earlier, to have worked that out and then honestly and, and some of this stuff we can't really touch on until next month uh-huh. work out a number of other things yeah. like an, almost an extraordinarily like too good to be true number of things to kind of set up a storyline mm-hmm. i'm like why not just come out and say hey i use this tool to figure this out yeah meet me here at this day and time
2: yeah, why not tell the story in a linear fashion?
3: Right, and 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 instead we have we have pseudonyms, we have maybe fake stories, but with rather convincing looking evidence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we have yeah, all of this trying. I really, really think trying to get them to this place, which, as it is, you know, talking cipher. Mm-hmm. You know, Hellier has a value of ninety three. Okay. 93 is important because in Thelema, or if you want, uh, let me phrase it this way, a a Thelemic greeting Uh uh, between two people of the OTO, they would say, Uh ah, love and will, love and will. It's like their motto.
0: It's like their motto.
3: They would use it as their greeting, like the same way that I talk about ham operators, you know, using 73 Mm -hmm. as a greeting Mm -hmm. to each other. 93 also equals love and will. Okay. Right? So it's a very important number in this occult practice. Okay. So the fact that they are trying to get these people to a town whose name has this magical cipher value, for lack of a better term. Okay. Right? Again, what are the odds of literally like this whole story just happening to bring them to that point at that day, at that time? Mm-hmm. It's It's almost astronomical odds. At least... In 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 my math, okay. Now maybe maybe ninety three pops up for more town names than than you can think of. Maybe it's actually way more common. Mm. Okay, I have spent <laughs> I have spent hours just looking at Google Maps and just tossing in town names trying to find another ninety three. Oh really? yeah uh, just 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 to figure out statistically.
0: Yeah yeah.
3: Right so. I have done a bunch in California. Here, I've looked at parts of Nevada. I've looked in Appalachia, um, and because of the nature of the cipher, mm-hmm. right? It's I think it's every I think it's every eleven letters. So you go around the alphabet a couple times, okay. right? A is one, L is two, W is three, mm-hmm. right? So then you come back around and like H is 4. And you go around and around and around until you've gotten to 26. Okay. Right? So it's not a simple like A is 1, B is 2, C is 3 kind of that cipher. Right? This is a totally like much more complicated cipher. Yeah. So in in my many hours of just kind of sitting there for S's and G's to figure out, can I find another 93? Mm -hmm. I have found 1. Really? I have found 1. One. So it's pretty rare. Zebulon, Kentucky. Wait,
2: you just mentioned Zebulon.
3: I did. Oh, okay. I did. And which honestly would have been another town kind of in that flap area. Right, right. But that's the only other one I've found so far. Okay. Um, I would love to just, you know, have some sort of database and just be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dump every single town name I can, I can find on a map. Mm-hmm. Find me all the 93.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Right? Lots of 92s, lots of 94s. 93 is a bit more rare. Hmm.
0: Interesting.
3: Yeah. It is, it is really weird. So we, we now have the basis of the case. We move into part two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of talks about synchronicities. Uh, one of the things that Dana says, synchronicities are meant to keep you out of your mundane day-to-day brain. It's one of those things that says, hey, 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 pay attention. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're introduced to Connor, who's a friend of Carl's. Um, we're kind of getting the team together here. Um, and what's interesting is as the four of them now in two different cars. So this is now September of 2017. Uh-huh. Okay. They are driving down to hell here. they're going back they're going to try to figure stuff out see what's going on um carl's flipping through the secret cipher uh-huh. comes across the terry wrist interview comes across the phrase ink and black
0: uh-huh.
3: and 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 ink and black equals 112 equals Andrew huh so he's now getting caught up on how the cipher works uh-huh. and how they can use it um i think as they said to to um uh, basically, like the extraterrestrials use the cipher to communicate, and now they can intercept those communications. Basically, right. Um One of the things I do want to mention is is the the cinematography that Carl does mm. is amazing. Mm, mm-hmm. Like it's it's the whole thing is just beautifully shot.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and one of the things that I love in particular, and it's in part two, is is when they actually exit the highway and they are driving to Hellier, and and they they pass you know, this, these towering uh, pillars that are going to be this new, like, highway bypass.
2: You're right, right.
3: Um, and how it just, it kind of seemed like it was half-built. Maybe they'd lost funding, you know, maybe they're just taking a seasonal break, I don't know. Um, and it I I, I do want to point out, uh, uh, via BrewGirl um, 78 uh, our friend Amanda on Twitter, uh, who lives not too far from there. Um, that overpass was actually finally finished in 2021.
2: Oh really? Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yep. It is done. You can drive on it. Um, so yeah, so they they go to back to the gas station mm-hmm. and which
2: it sort of seems like that's like the closest thing this tiny town has to a like a public square or public space. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like that's it basically.
3: That if again, I I would say <laughs> go 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 look at a Google map of this area and and yeah this is it's out there
0: yeah
3: and this this is pretty much the the social center uh of of that immediate area um but it seems like the strangeness has dried up Mm -hmm. you know if this if this was at one time a window area it's like the window is closed Mm. um and it's strange you know they've got people who are they're kind of you know talking to and they're like yeah I never really seen anything like that you know wish i could help you out more you guys watch yourselves out here you need, there's almost this kind of closed in more more paranoid feeling right uh, and you know I, th- I think one thing i actually meant to touch on earlier um and we got so caught up talking about the um uh the ufo sighting in october was that that you know not more than you know 10 or 12 days later Um, Greg and Dana go visit Brown Mountain, North Carolina uh, with another investigator and and radio show host named Micah Hanks. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Brown Mountain is is kind of a weird place in and of itself. There are the Brown Mountain lights. There's the belief that there's uh, underground bases Mm. in that area. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in early 2013, so it's I thought it was closer in time than it actually was uh, to the UFO flap and the visit to Brown Mountain. Uh, it's not. So my own apologies on that. Um, so it's like four months later, Greg literally receives an email from somebody calling himself Terry Rift.
2: This is really important. I'm glad you mentioned this because yeah. it's my understanding that, you know, Greg gets these David Christie emails with the creepy photos, supposedly yep. of these Kentucky go- cave goblins. Yep. And, and and Greg's kind of talking about this on Facebook on social media but mm-hmm. th- but there's he's not revealing the name of David Christie he's not revealing the name of the town hellier he's keeping Correct. that stuff confidential so Correct. he he gets an email and the e- one of the emails mentions hellier so obviously <clears throat> the person who's sending that email is is somehow connected to the original David Christie so it's not just a random person out there in the world just emailing and pretending and this person uh, is also claiming to be Terry Wrist the guy from the book.
3: Right. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So so at first, it's February 4th, 2013. And it says, why did you stop when you guys were so close?
0: Uh-huh.
3: I've got something for you one week, right? Uh-huh. Literally a week later, uh-huh. we get the Hellier was just a symptom email, uh-huh. right? Ink and Black are isolated. Still in the third order, MIA. It's kind of almost embarrassing that I've memorized that. <laughs> but there's also an attachment, right and there's a picture with a string of numbers on it
2: it almost looks like it's written on an envelope or something
0: sort
3: of yeah
2: like a weird piece um, of
3: paper and of course it's sitting on top of a book that is yeah. upside down all right so hold on hold on. let's, right, break, right. this, let's right, break this let's break this down piece by piece let's okay. break this down by piece by piece right. sorry i got ahead of myself here no 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 um so there's a string of numbers right um there's a number 31 okay. written to one side right Um, 31 also kind of an important number because if you take 31 and multiply it by three, you get 93. There you go. Keep that in mind. Up in, you know, one corner, there is a, um, uh, what an antiquated slur, let's call it. Uh, it says slough. Okay. Uh, and that was something used in the Vietnam era. Um, and if you don't know what it is, I'm just going to say, look it up or go watch the documentary. Okay. Quite honestly, I'm going to keep it a little bit clean on the show here.
0: Sure.
3: Um, but yes, then there's also the text of a book behind it or underneath. Yeah. And the book is upside down, mm-hmm. but you know, I can read upside down, so I can. And I sat down one day long ago, and I threw try to put a couple phrases into google mm-hmm. uh, and it turns out it's a book called i think it's huna
2: yeah it's like a hawaiian par like hawaiian occult something
3: yeah secret science at work mm-hmm. um and yeah it's um it's interesting it's not a book that i ever picked up or tried to read through mm-hmm. um but There's, you can read a couple pages of it via Google Books. Uh, And yeah, it's, I don't even really know how to describe it.
2: Well, from what little research I did, and when I say research, I mean kind of looking at Wikipedia, right? Big research. Fair. Um, it sounds like it's a book written back in the day by a white guy who's claiming that ancient Native Hawaiians had uh, mystical occult practices which are relevant to the New Age movement. But at the same time, there's a lot of like Native Hawaiian folks who are like experts in their own folklore and traditions, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. We've never heard of <laughs> this or something. I don't know."
3: In- interesting. Okay, that's 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 interesting. Given a book we will talk about next month Mm, uh um or actually possibly two months from now if i remember which episode it's in but anyway rebirth of pan gets a little awkward too Mm. we'll get to that um so so anyway yes um i i don't think in in this email attachment any of that stuff is there by mistake. Totally. I mean, it
2: looks visually like he's just taking a photo, and it just so happens there's a book in the background, a page of a book open. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think everything everything is symbolic. You know what I mean?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and symbolism plays throughout this entire documentary. One of the important things to remember, um, because some of you out there are probably thinking of, like, wait a second, if that is... A picture, um, definitely. If it was shot with a phone, it should have what's called EXIF data. EXIF. What's that? Well, that is literally data about like what kind of camera took the picture, when uh. the picture was taken. Sometimes, although you can turn these settings off, where it was taken. Oh, okay. And and I've you know I, I make no bones about it. I'm a supporter of the paranormal museum um and so i've i've seen many if not all of their live streams at this point okay um and so i I've, I've heard a lot of these discussions i've heard a lot of this kind of stuff and he's like no trust me we looked at that almost first thing oh uh, okay and there's no location data Oh, and the dates line up with when they would have been taken. You know, they, they were close to when these emails were sent. Okay. So it's not like, oh, here's a picture of a footprint that I shot like seven years ago, and now I'm sending it to you. Mm, okay. Right? So it's that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So anyway, right? And, and, you know, Greg even says, well, I tossed this picture up too. And somebody goes, ooh, I think those might be credit card numbers. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, shit, better pull it down. And somebody else is like, mm, I'm not so sure. I think those might be GPS coordinates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, sure, why not? Chuck those in, guess where it lands.
0: Really
2: close to Brown Mountain, it turns really out. Really close
3: to Brown Mountain. Which is so creepy, because
2: think about it. From what I remember from the episode, they go out to Brown Mountain. Really, there's nobody knowing that they're taking this little trip out there, except for a handful of people. Yeah, and- pretty much. And around the exact same time, you're getting an email from this guy connected to this wacky story. And in the email are the GPS coordinates where you just were. Yeah. Which is like, what is going on here?
3: Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of be losing my mind at this point. I moment. know, right? Totally. You know, this is the phenomena sending you a case of oil ratcheted up by like 100. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. There's. I, I think you touched on something that, that kind of makes sense. I mean, I, I definitely... Agree with the idea that I think Terry, on some level, is behind the David Christie emails. Okay, so because he's... because in in the next episode, Trapped in a Maze, which I think might be my favorite episode of the first season, mm. right? They're they're in Pikeville, they're in Jenkins, they're in this area. They they're doing boots on the ground research. They're they're looking in uh, records offices. They're trying to talk to. Um, you know, property records and everything. They're trying to find some evidence that David Christie existed.
2: Right. And just just to bring our our listeners up to date. So basically, you know, Greg's having this email conversation with this Dr. David Christie, and then it simply stopped
3: it so does he yeah. stops
2: replying he's not give. he says that he's in the hellier area but he's not he hasn't given a street address they don't know where in the area he's located at and so they go down there you know they they, they drive down they have their friends they have their film crew and they really don't know where to start other than you know the main town center which is a like a gas station pizza place and so they go to like the county seat pikeville and mm-hmm. this <clears> is where like I really kind of my my um, respect for this team grew because like there's a whole segment of the episode where it's like them you know calling the local newspaper, calling the local police department. Right. Going to, like, the, their version of the DMV and, the, you know, the county assessor's office to find, is there anybody that's ever loaned land here with that name or paid taxes with that name or registered an automobile with that name? Yeah. Um, and they they, they 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 strike out. They really can't find any evidence that there's anybody down there with that name. But I have, like, so much respect that they actually did that.
0: You know
2: what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, just, not, not just, like, Google the name or something. You know what I mean? Right.
3: Right. And as and as a research, researcher and archivist yourself, I totally get why you appreciate that. Yeah. Now before before we dive too much further okay. um, into the 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 third episode, I, I I would be remiss if I didn't take one step back and talk about possibly, possibly my favorite person in all 15 parts <laughs> right. of this entire documentary because when they are at the lookout gas and go um, and, and all four of them are there um, an and older fella comes up and obviously we, we don't get a name or anything and that's fine, that's totally fine, but I know him as Moon Landing <laughs> Denier
2: Guy Now why do you call him that?
3: I, I, I call him that because, oh, God, I just, I wish I just could clip the entire audio from this and just, and just play it just because I love listening to it. <laughs> yeah. But but he he literally is kind of like, you know, talking to them and looking at the photos and he's like, well, you know what I don't believe? Greg's like, what's that? He's like, I don't believe man never went to the moon. <laughs> yeah, this guy's great. You know? And he's like, you know, why, why ain't man ever been to the sun? Oh, yeah, his... His too logic, hot.
2: yeah it's too hot his
3: his logic is fantastic okay, yeah. well now why at the moon just too cultful, Yeah. you know and it's, it. it's it's just, <laughs> and it, and just 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 the way forgive me folks the way that he goes yeah, no. just it's just so matter of fact it's just it just this guy just cracks me up yeah i love him so much I, I I know that all that was shot well before COVID. I know it's been years now we've gone through COVID. I just you know, I hope he's okay. Oh yeah, for sure. I hope he's doing all right. If 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 he if for some reason he's passed, I hope he's happy. I hope he's up there going, Well shit, God. You can't go to the moon. It's no, too damn cold. I, I love it just absolute cracks me up he is he is like one of the highlights of this entire documentary to me and maybe i'm just really easy to please
2: <laughs> i i kind of wonder if that wasn't terry Rist himself just messing with them
3: now that's a wild wild theory
1: my brain just kind of melted
3: which would be pretty funny because let's see if if the the general running theory is that he was probably born you know you figure if he was let's say he was 20 in vietnam Mm -hmm. you know he probably would have been born you know round about the end of the second world war 44 45 46 something like that
2: yeah greenfield says 44 yeah you're right
3: okay okay Fair enough. We'll run with that. Um, and so, uh, man, which is really weird when I think about it. That would have made him 50 at the time of the interview in Secret Life uh-huh. in 94. Uh-huh. Huh. Picture him younger in that interview for whatever reason. So, yeah, tack another... Um, what, tack another 22, 23 years on
0: uh-huh.
3: from that to get to 2017. And he'd have been, yeah, he'd have been early 70s.
0: Uh-huh.
3: I don't know. That's an interesting theory. That'd be really, that'd be insane. Yeah. That would be insane. Um, so anyway, moon landing denier guy aside. Mm-hmm. Love you, dude. Um, they're, they're hitting this frustration of they're not running into like the same weirdness uh-huh. as when they were there two years before. Um, but, you know, there's also one of the things that they talk about throughout the series is kind of the uh, phase of frustration being part of the initiation process. Uh-huh. Um, and you see that here. It's it's hitting those dead ends that kind of causes you to push through to a new phase of, of the investigation, of, you know, the initiation, however you want to look at it. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, yeah, we move on and they're doing all this... Uh, research boots on the ground stuff, um, and I apologize. I said that that was in part three. That's that's not. That's in part two.
0: Mm.
3: Um, and they're literally they're they're just they're driving through you know the backroads of Hellier trying to find a house.
2: Uh-huh. That was Hellier.
3: <laughs> yeah. That looked like the one that David describes in his emails. Uh-huh. And then they come across a couple of what I'd say are a couple of good old boys. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, who bless them are actually really nice and really helpful. Um, I envy their license plate collection. I'll say that. Um, and as they're talking and looking at the pictures, um, one of the things that comes up is talk about, you know, a cave where people have reported hearing a baby crying. Right, right.
2: So they're kind of, you know, Greg and Dana and the others are basically saying, hey, have you ever heard of a family called Christie around yep. here? And and they're saying, well, no, but, you know, here's all the other weird legends and stories that we've heard relating to high strangeness, caves, cave creatures, you know. So so the team's all of a sudden they're not finding David, they're not finding these goblins, but they're finding a deeper layer of weirdness and folklore kind of embedded in the community,
0: you know. Right. Yeah, yeah
3: exactly. And 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 part of that, actually part of that is just good old-fashioned um experiential information mm. right these these people are coal miners and and they're looking at the picture of the footprint and they're like well that's coal slurry
2: right exactly that was really interesting i thought too
3: um that happens when you know these these mines these caves that have been shut down you know fill with water and flood
0: mm-hmm. and they they
3: push the stuff out that's what this stuff looks like right now i'm just going to throw this out here because you know, again, this region is recovering some pretty nasty flooding. Just recently, yeah. Yeah, just just within the past month or two here. I wonder how much slurry has been pushed out now.
2: Oh, geez, yeah.
3: And maybe there are more, but who mm-hmm. knows? Um, so anywho, they have this information now The whole baby's crying in caves thing, that's, I feel like that's something of almost an archetype, but that is one of those things. And I'll mention it now because we've talked about John Keel before.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, and, and throughout this first season, you know, Carl kind of refers to this experience that they're having as, as kind of their, their Mothman experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So so they were listening to the Mothman prophecies on the drive out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that Kiel talks about is um, and he mentions it in an article that is in a book of his called Flying Saucer to the Center of Your Mind. Mm hmm. Great book. I have it. Um, and one of the two most common things associated with the phenomena happening is the sounds of babies crying,
0: mm-hmm.
3: the sound of a car door slamming. Right. Now, let's take a moment to pause and go back to our talk on Wood- Woodrow Derenberger. A couple episodes ago, right? You know, quite a few episodes ago at this point, And he talks about the door of injured spaceship.
0: Mm, uh
3: I think not just sounding like, but almost literally just looking like a car door. Uh uh And there we have that kind of through line. You know, we're starting to see these bigger patterns.
2: Right, because... There's there's so many threads that tie the Hellier stuff with the Mothman Point Pleasant stuff. Not yeah. only not only what you just mentioned, but just the fact that there's this enigmatic Terry Risk gentleman who's emailing Greg and Dana, and supposedly in 1994 he gives an interview in a book where he's saying that he tracked down the actual extraterrestrial Indrid Cold, who's mm-hmm. totally wrapped in with the Point Pleasant you know connection. There, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So there's a there's a tie there.
3: There absolutely is, and and a lot of the very similar kind of uh, elements of high strangeness. Mm-hmm. You right. know, they're also experiencing. If if that UFO flap had happened on a Wednesday, mm-hmm. you know, which Keel says is the most common day
0: mm-hmm.
3: to see UFOs, I I would have been like, well, shoot, you know, what the heck, <laughs> you know. But no, it happened on a Tuesday.
2: And not only that, but uh, Keel would get weird strange bizarre letters from people called like the international bankers or something which sort of yes. ties into you know gray getting all these weird mysterious emails from all these random people you know so there's you, that connection too
3: you are absolutely right and that is one of those things that i went you know what i should throw the international bankers into the cipher Ooh. and see what comes up okay um because it's not one that i had ever looked up before okay um, and so the International Bankers has a value of 323. Hmm. Um, and we get stuff like a factor infinite and unknown and all. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, we get all things of sense and rapture. Hmm. Um, we also get, interestingly enough, each for himself and there is no law. Oh, weird. Yeah. A little creepy. That's
2: creepy.
3: Um, then we also get stuff like gives one particle of dust. Ooh. Almost like like little breadcrumb. Right, right. You know? So there's one that came up that I didn't really think about much at first until not last weekend, but the weekend before. Okay. So one of the things that... Actually, you know, I did give it some thought. One of the one of the results is I am eight mm-hmm. and one in eight. Okay. And at first I was like, oh, well, maybe these eights, you know, the number eight is a sideways infinity symbol,
0: mm-hmm.
3: right? It's almost like saying I am infinite and one within that infiniteness. Okay. Right. So here's kind of a weird synchronicity that happened. And I'm not going to go fully into details because it was a museum live stream. It might factor into the case in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but there was a recent live stream and Dana was trying to remote view at Adorpa. Oh, wow. I'll say that much. Um, in that process, she met a weird figure. Now, the name of that figure, um, is I guess technically a symbol. Uh, I'll say this. He showed her his card. Okay. Um, if I put the name of that card into the cipher, one of the things that it equals is I am eight. Oh, hey,
2: no way.
1: My brain just kind of melted.
3: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and and, and the, the first name of this character actually is something that will come up in uh, future months as we talk about season two of Hellier. Okay. So it's a little weird it's really a little weird Um, oddly enough um, the international bankers also equals ink and black upon beautiful that's that's
2: huge because the ink and the black I mean that's that goes right back to injured cold
3: right that's our 112 yeah Um, let the evil ones be cast away okay Um, interestingly enough because John Keel would receive letters from the international bankers Mm -hmm. um, also equaling 323 is much as the style of a letter oh wow Mm-hmm. Oh, now geez. here's an interesting one
2: okay okay
3: it also equals of the battle of conquest
2: the whoa the law of the battle of conquest but wasn't there was that was the one yes. that named in the one of the chapters in the secret side for the euthanot books
3: yes and i believe it's one that um uh is very importantly tied into the whole terry wrist thing
2: oh that's creepy
3: yeah yeah um, it also equals servants of the star and the snake. Whoa. Stars, as we know, do also factor greatly into Hellier. Uh-huh. Snakes, not so much, not yet.
0: Not at yet. least, yeah.
3: maybe in the future. Um, and the other one that really stood out to me is the international bankers. Also equals the rituals of the old time. Whoa.
2: that's a that's a rich yield right there. <laughs> that is a
3: very rich <laughs> yield. Yeah. yeah. Those were some really fascinating ones. Um, you know, uh, rituals, both old and new, do kind of factor into the overall story as well. We'll get into that more in a future month. Can I
2: just can I just make a really quick comment here? It's sort of a, um, a recap- not a recapitulation, but just kind of an observation about um, Hellier in general so far. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. For me, what's one of the things that's really fascinating is because they have this kind of a, a big picture view of the paranormal. Where they integrate UFOs and cryptids and ghosts, ultra and all these things. Um, it, it, the 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 really fun thing is that because with because of that they when they do investigations their toolkit is much larger. Yes. So for instance, like if you watch a ghost hunting TV show, you know they have you know infrared cameras and spirit boxes and stuff like that but in this in hellier it's like they you know sure they'll use things like that but they'll also use tarot cards and they'll also use ciphers and they will also use all these other kind of things to kind of try to generate if not evidence at least synchronicities to kind of point them in the right direction
3: yeah and if and if nothing else it's it's stuff to try and achieve connection yeah right because we end um, we end part two. They're they're staying up at a cabin uh in Jenkins, Kentucky, and uh-huh. they they start an Estes method session, right? Right, and they're like they're kind of like looking at everything they've gone through, and they're like like all of this is just weird enough to get you here, uh-huh. you know. And then we're finding stuff even weirder. And 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 part three starts, and and they're making an offering and mm-hmm. they're setting an intention, and, and that is so important. I think it's It's kind of like that, um, you know, if the phenomena and, you know, the team here were a pair of modems, it's the handshake. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're like, hey, we want to make contact. We want to reach out. We want to talk to you. And, and most all of this episode is this big, long Estes Method
0: mm-hmm.
3: session, go. which is fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, I'm not gonna like pick it every last bit of it apart, but I find it interesting. Like at one point, uh, uh, Connor goes Batman, mm. and Greg goes Mothman.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and it's interesting to note that you know Mothman was actually named that by a journalist who basically um, kind of adapted the name of a character called the Killer Moth, right, from the Batman comic books. Um, and it's also really funny because I mean, you know, this is. This was, like, my first experience really watching an Estes session.
0: Mm, okay.
3: And by the ones that I've seen more recently mm-hmm. in, like, live streams and stuff, this thing is so tame. Mm,
0: mm. This
3: thing is so just calm. Um, but again, we, we, we also we, we get the trickster element. You know, Greg goes, who's in the cave? And Connor, by way of the, the SB7, replies, talking rooster. Mm. And then he pauses and he goes, no, it's not. Right' so it's just kind of it's like how we get that kind of trickster element you know we 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 get just the words forty eight minutes called out um and that that plays into something later that gets really weird, but what really kind of sticks out to me, I even watched it back today to okay. make sure that I had this downright, so you know Connor's got the headphones on, he's got the eyebrow on, he's you know hanging on to the um s b seven and he says. Is the world ready? And I, I I feel even now, you know, post-2020, mm. that that has a bigger meaning. Oh, yeah. Um And, you know, Greg and everybody's like, yeah, of course we're ready. Of course we're ready. There we go, he says. And then Connor sees the tin can. What? It's
1: a tin can.
0: That's a tin
3: can. Tin can? Like an old tin can.
1: Tin can. Tin
2: can. I just sound like a tin can. Right. He... He's, he's involved in an SS method. He should be hearing, you know, obviously these, you know, disembodied voices coming through static, but a, a visual image gets kind of shot into his mind, it sounds like. Okay. Yeah. Remember correctly. Yeah, and, and it's like a picture of a tin can of all the things.
3: Yep, a labelless tin can, right. basically on like a like on a surface. Mm-hmm. It's got a, it's got like a cloth on it. I don't know, I can't remember if it's a tablecloth or just what. And and he's like I've I've never had that before. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He's like he's like I've never had a vision doing an Estes method before.
0: Right
3: um, now you know it, it, there's I mean there's so much to be read into the whole. Tin can, you know, um, archetype. What?
1: It's a tin can. It's a tin can. Tin can. Like an old tin can. Tin
3: can. Tin
0: can. I just sound like a tin can. Mm.
3: Right? That goes back to Kelly Hopkinsville.
2: Yeah. That, the...
3: goes, that goes back to a case that John Keel... Um, yeah, I can't remember heard about or looked into up in Minnesota, uh-huh. where somebody working for a radio station, which oddly enough was K-E-Y-L, which also if you say it out loud says Keel, mm. um, saw an animated tin can, uh-huh. you know, bopping down the road. I had a laugh just last weekend as we were at Silicon in San Jose, the folks at the Raspberry Pi booth, the Raspberry Pi <laughs> is a um, little, little um, basically a mini computer. that you can program and get to do a bunch of different things they had now granted and i and i took a picture i should have shot video i don't know what i was thinking um but they had basically a couple tin cans that were painted up like superheroes oh but they were animated and controlled by a raspberry pi wow and i i I, I, I would love to know what that looks like (laughs) um it's honestly pretty basic okay you know, it, it, it's it's not like it was walking around or anything. It's just you know the top had been separated and then you know hinged, so it would like rock back and forth, like it was like like a head nodding.
0: Oh,
2: okay.
3: But it was just one of those things. Knowing that this episode is coming up, and I'm like, I'm seeing a goddamn animated tin can in front of me. Right, right. It's like evolving. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: but this, yeah. Go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just gonna say, listeners, if you haven't seen Hell Year before, just keep keep this tin can in the back of your mind because it'll come up come up in a few minutes. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think this really is the point where like the investigation turns a corner Uh and things are going to get really weird from this point out. Uh Uh, I'd like to make mention real quick for those eagle eyed viewers who noticed the um, Art Bell sticker on the back of Granada's oh, yeah. little, little scion. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically asked, I'm like, dude, where did you find that? I want one of those. Yeah. And he was like, nobody's got art belt stickers. I had those made.
2: Oh, they're homemade.
3: And I was like, no kidding. So I oh, went wow. ahead and made some myself. That's
2: awesome.
3: Make stickers.com. Um <laughs> now I think it's really clear, I think at this point with all the research they've done, that, you know, they're not finding David Christie, at least not in this part of the country. But Seb, you did a little bit of research and what did you find? Oh,
2: you know, uh, I I looked on Ancestry.com and I did find a David M. Christie in Kentucky, but of all things, in the late 1800s. Okay. There's also a couple websites where They will link to basically um, for the 50 states and all the Canadian provinces, you know, there's online databases of people who have a a license to practice medicine. I'm assuming he's an MD because they talk about him being a doctor and wanting Mm -hmm. to not, you know, he doesn't want to like risk his reputation by going public. Right. Uh, I was not able to find any David M. Christie license to practice medicine in, in, in any of those databases. Um, well, and I, and
3: I just figured, just watch, he was a dentist, but he didn't want to admit it.
2: <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, that's, that's another reason why I think this I have so much respect for this TV show. Because it, fe- it feels like um, any other paranormal show, you know, they would have gone down, not able to find the guy. And, mm-hmm. and maybe the, the TV producer would have just hired some random guy, blanked out his face, and he would have pretended to be David Christie and they would have filmed a segment or something like that. Yep. But but they're really upfront about the fact that, hey, we really looked and we really couldn't find anybody down here, that, any evidence of that somebody with that name. I mean, that being said, now I'm starting to think about, okay, wait, now I've looked at your timeline. The big UFO flap was right after, right around the time the emails
3: stopped. Maybe mm-hmm. he got abducted. <laughs> Well, that, that would certainly be interesting. Yeah.
2: Anyway, that's just something that popped in my head. But.
3: Um, you know, and maybe it wasn't abducted. Maybe he was supposed to be on the ship. The same way that, that uh, Terry claims that, um, you know, the whole Mothman flap was basically a call for help. Interesting.
2: I
0: don't know. Yeah, no, but I'm about to think you about know? that
3: one. Yeah. I, I literally don't know. Oh. Um, but but anyway, um, post Estes Method, um, they put in a call to um, probably one of the craziest guys you'll ever meet. Um, And I I, I have to say that he's also uh, incredibly smart. He is an amazing artist. It's Mr. Tyler Strand.
2: Right. The the kind of the, I don't want to say the last member of the crew, but like sort of, you know, he's definitely on the the bridge of the starship Hellier, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yes, he definitely is. Um, it last only in the sense that he's the most recently introduced.
2: Yes, exactly. Let's
3: put it that way. Let's put it that way. Um, yeah, this, this, a, a, a one man phenomenon all in and of himself. Um, so they, they have this call with Tyler. Uh, Tyler had been out at the Mothman festival, um, mm-hmm. and had come across a guy who had actually put together his own book of cave creature sightings. Okay. Um, and so we oh, always, like, I totally want to get a copy of that. I'm really, really curious. They have this whole conversation. They get to the end and the call was exactly, well, no, it wasn't exactly. I'm sorry. There were some number of seconds. I don't remember how many, but the call was 48 minutes long. Right. And of course, what's one of the things that Connor randomly says in this Estes session? 48 minutes.
0: Mm,
3: Right. Again, that's one of those things where it's like the odds of that just being the case Mm -hmm. is, I don't know, pretty slim.
2: There's almost, an. I'm probably going to give something away here, but there's almost like a, a precognition element to...
3: Yeah, I and we can dive into this a little bit. I, I want to make sure that we've got enough time, because this is definitely going to be a long episode, <laughs> to get through Parts 4 and Parts 5 um, here. But yeah, there, there are elements of precognition, but then I also have to wonder they are also elements of retrocausality. Now, remind
2: me again what that means. Okay,
3: so let's say that... Well, here, I mean, I'll just... I'll I'll use the tin can image for a hot second. Just putting a spin on it as a hypothetical. Let's say that finding the tin can in the cave in part five Uh is such a big deal, right? Uh It's such a momentous moment for
0: Connor... Uh-huh.
3: that he basically sends an image of the can back to himself in the past. Oh. And that's what he sees retrocausality. Uh, I've had my own experience with what I believe to be retrocausality.
2: Really? What happened?
3: Oh yeah, I was trying to it was actually it was almost a year ago.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Um and I had to um Pick the next episode of Doctor Who that we were going to watch for Podcastica. Oh, okay. Right? And it was about a week before my birth. Okay. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, I should probably pick it. And I actually, maybe I think it was almost two years ago, come to think of it, because it was the year that Gallifrey won. The convention was postponed. Okay. Um, yeah, that would have been 2021. So this was this was late 2020. Sorry about that. Two years ago. Um, and... Like, the news of that had just dropped, and I was like, oh, man, I'm so bummed. And I had this picture in my head of a really, really good cosplay from an episode called The Mask of Mandragora. Okay. And I went, oh, I don't think we've done that episode yet. I should look it up. So I look it up, and I'm like, oh, this will be a good one. Yeah, let's do this one. And I just, I just make that decision. I don't start gathering information about the episode until almost right before we record, so I'm filling everything out. Well, it turns out that The Mask of Mandragora, even though it didn't specifically air an episode on my birthday Uh in 1976, it was the four-part story that was airing during when I was born. Oh, no way. And I was like, I I literally started kind of tripping out from that, and I started throwing, like, um, uh, words like like Mask of Mandragor into the cipher. So I have, wow. a, I have a I have have a moment like this and I'm like I've got to dig deeper. And I I don't remember exactly which word i was looking at it might have been mandragora but one of the things that came up was 86 okay and it's like uh, okay whatever you know just taking notes and then i actually look at the production order mask of mandragora was the 86th story produced whoa what is happening
2: it's like television meets astrology what was showing at the time of your birth
3: right i love it Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, that's, well, you know, that's my, been my experience with that. So maybe it's precognition. Maybe it's retro causality. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. <laughs>
2: really? I got to throw something out
3: super quick. I know we're running long, but, um, I recently saw a
2: documentary about, um, remote viewing with, um, mm-hmm. Professor Russell Targ, who okay. was part of that whole thing at Stanford Research Institute in the seventies, you know, psychic yep. spies and all that good stuff. Um, I I thought it was really fascinating because a lot of the best uh, remote viewers he dealt with would describe things around the city of Palo Alto that, you know, Mm -hmm. were sealed envelopes, but then there would be things that didn't quite fit and it later, years later they found out that it was like, those were the architectural structures that existed at that site like a hundred years earlier. And that have been torn down generations ago. Interesting. So, so even though remote viewing and SS method, they only have kind of like a superficial similarity. There is it seems like a temporal distortion that that happens sometimes with these things, where maybe you get stuff from the past or from the future. You know
0: that
3: would not surprise me one bit.
2: Anyway, just had to throw that out there. Okay. No,
3: no, fair, fair point, fair point. So part four slivers of the future. This part, now don't get me wrong, I love Hellier, but. I just I felt the least connected to this part really how come do you think I I think I think most of it um is actually more the whole like IP address rabbit hole
2: ah yes that
3: they go down now don't get me wrong I understand its importance to the story um I understand that you know it's it's kind of Craig facing the fact that okay maybe maybe it was somebody I know messing with me yeah, and kind of, kind of shaking that whole kind of foundation.
2: Yeah, yeah, because it's basically right in the middle of their shoot. Like, I think they're like up at like two or three in the morning or something yep. in this cabin. Yeah, yeah, And they're, you know, they're, they're thinking to themselves, you know, what are, what's what's really going on here? We weren't able to track down this David Christie guy, and then a the member of the crew realizes, wait a second, maybe there's an IP address associated with the initial emails. That will tell us where in Kentucky they were sent from, and we can, like, zero in and find him or his homestead or whatever. Right. And it turns out the IP address is, like, some random place in Canada.
0: Yeah. Which is, like... That's what it seems at first.
2: Yeah. So, is it, like, is it a hoax? Is it David Christie was in Kentucky using a VPN, sending out the emails, so it's all scatterbrained? It's like, I'm not a tech guy, but, you know... It seems like it really deflated Greg at that point. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
3: But, you know, I, I mean, I, I also get it in the sense of it's like, hey, we're showing our whole process. We're showing the yeah. wins. We're showing the losses. Yeah, yeah. We're showing the frustration. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I totally get that. Um, but again, frustration of initiation. mm
0: mm-hmm. Right, right, right. You know,
3: um, it's, it's almost like they're realizing that, that hell, you're the place isn't the important part anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, or, or Or the people. You know what's important is more what's going on in that area. Is it is it is it something in the Appalachian Mountains? Maybe if you can't, can't wash that, that year off. You know they realize that yeah maybe maybe the door is closed. Maybe this window area has kind of shut down. Um, and and they they missed it because they weren't able to get out of Canada mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and that that is all interesting al- along with the idea where they go like look even if this was a hope yeah. Like, even if some crazy concocted story, it, it still took them to all this, mm-hmm. right? So even if there is no origin point, even if there wasn't anything actually happening,
0: mm-hmm.
3: we're here now, and there's stuff happening,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: right? And that that's one of the really interesting aspects of all this. Um, I know that we've talked in some of our cases where, you know... Like we've seen, like the paths of UFO sightings, kind of going from the southwest to the northeast, mm. and 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 uh, stuff like that, you know. And I've I've posited the idea that maybe you know whatever bubble, right, our planet is interacting with, mm-hmm. is you know moving from one direction to another in a higher dimension a higher vibration a different realm whatever you want to call it you know maybe it's rotating in a different direction compared to how the earth rotates you okay
2: yeah i'm sorry
3: okay sound like it fell out of your chair there i didn't think that idea was that radical (laughs) um and so yeah maybe it's maybe it is one of those things where okay here's a period of time where the window of high strangeness is going to be open over this part of kentucky okay you know for for however long you know, maybe there's a way to calculate how long I don't know, but it's very clear they go in twenty fifteen um uh, and they're talking about weirdness, mm-hmm. you know they're talking about weirdness that happened in twenty twelve they come back two years later, and it's like that weirdness has dried up yeah. that weirdness may still be happening, maybe it's just moved on, yeah. You know, and I there's no way of really knowing. But we get, now we're kind of getting <clears throat> to the heart of it. And I don't just mean the tint name of part five. Um, but we wrap up part four with them heading toward this train tunnel. They get in touch with, I think, a local professor, teacher, uh-huh. something like that, who has seen a, a sort of similar track and uh-huh. makes a recommendation. You should go look here. Uh-huh. Um, and... I'll be honest, anybody with a decent working knowledge of Google Maps and some of the places uh, in this documentary, you can find this train tunnel.
2: Oh, do you know where it is? I,
3: I, I've done some research oh, to figure wow. out where a lot of these places are. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in, in the interests of respecting the people of these places, I'm not just going to shout out where they are. Oh, okay. But I'm saying it can be researched, and you can figure it out. It's not difficult,
2: yeah, apparently it's an abandoned uh train tunnel which has a very kind of spooky look, and it's you know if you watch a bare if you watch a ghost hunting television show, the show kind of has to climax with a you know investigation of an allegedly haunted house, so it's almost like for this for first five episodes of Hellier, you know they're talking about cave creatures in Kentucky, you know they actually you know, you kind of have to get into some sort of cave or tunnel or something. You know what I mean?
3: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this this tunnel was originally um, going to be um, it was originally going to go all the way through from where we we where we see them to the other side of basically this this mountain as part of a um, uh, a, a rail line for coal. Oh, okay. Um, but it it never got finished. Um, so we just have this partial uh, tunnel. Now we get into part five and I just look, I, I need to take a moment and just admire Greg's ability to set intention.
0: Mm.
3: It, it's, it's literally beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just the way that he's so honest and heartfelt about it. I, th- mm-hmm. I think that is a big uh, element of their success mm-hmm. is, is that, that genuine um, desire to communicate uh-huh, uh-huh. And from that boom, we go into hey, look, it's a Gansfeld message, uh, a Gansfeld experiment uh-huh. session, um, as we talked about last month with our methods of communication, and and during this process, it's it's almost like Greg starts having like an alien abduction experience, uh-huh. um, which is interesting on a couple of levels because we will find out um, they've tried to do something very similar uh-huh. uh, but we also hear the sound of like the modern like door lock like if I go yeah. lo- lock the door on our Subaru it's mm-hmm. whoop boop
2: Right, right, right. You know,
3: and 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 they kind of think about this as kind of like the the modern version of the Keelian door slam. And it's so weird because they're like in the middle of nowhere. Pretty much, like yeah. if you if you look at where this is on the map, um, it it is it's not super remote, but it's pretty remote.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, and, and and especially late at night, you wouldn't imagine you'd have a lot of other cars around. Hmm. Um, but what is interesting is that, you know, as Greg's having this Gansfeld experiment, um, he looks up and he sees a gray with blue eyes oh. looking over him. And then the whole white noise program that they use kind of freezes up. Right. It's it's almost kind of like like the mental shock of like, oh, God, oh, God, this is happening. Kind of like, it's almost like you kind of like radiate energy and it kind of freezes. You know, it, it affects the... Um, the the app they're using. Mm, Right. Right. But at the same time, they clearly, they they feel a presence in this train train tunnel. They're trying to get an interaction going. Um, You know, Carl talks about it's it's the serene moments that feel really weird. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Dana pulls some tarot cards. They get the hangman, which is kind of like, we need to look at this from a different perspective.
2: Did you say something like there were some people, some community of viewers of Hellier that like really didn't like the tarot stuff or whatever?
3: It, it's weird. I mean, some of the reactions, like I think at one point, you know, Greg says, you know, Hellier is going to connect with the people that it needs to connect with. Right. Right. And there are going to be some people who are just going to be like, I don't get it. Yeah. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody, but the people for whom it is, they get it. Uh Um, And I've been blessed to, you know, kind of, you know, uh, get to know members of that community Uh who also get it. Um, And, and yeah, part of that community is like, oh yeah, got no problem with the Gansfeld, got no problem with the Essence Method, got no problem with the idea of, you know, ghosts or Bigfoot, but, you know, oh, you're using tarot. Uh You know, oh, that, that, that's wrong. That's, that's demonic that's opening up doors for evil that's and you suddenly get like this whole like you know repressed christian feelings kind of oh, filtering okay. into that it's hilarious um you know but then there's also the people who you know uh, one of the best shirts that they've ever come up with at planet weird is the one star no goblin okay. shirt because somebody on amazon gave it one star and it was like oh there's no goblin <laughs> yeah
2: right <laughs> one star no goblins. that's funny I like and that. it's like
3: okay you're clearly somebody <laughs> hell you're is not meant for
2: right right right
3: so yeah, but then we get Connor, he goes into an Estes method session um in <laughs> in the train tunnel um and it it's kind of like a bunch of different entities kind of come through mm. um in including uh one that that kind of has followed them around from the Stanley hotel oh. named Eddie
0: okay
3: uh, which is interesting um and and kind of over over the course of this. Session, they kind of start getting this idea, like maybe, maybe we're talking with something ancient mm. that's dreaming and just starting to wake up. Mm. Um, which I don't know. If somebody came to me and said, "Hey, <laughs> this is what's happening," I'd probably get kind of freaked out. Yeah, uh, mostly you know when it's ancient stuff and it's waking up. <clears throat> um, but, but it kind of wraps up, or it almost wraps up, and they're all kind of feeling the sense of completion, even though nothing comes through and says, no, this is exactly the reason why you came. Let me explain everything to you.
0: Mm, right.
3: Um, but then they get celebrate activity. Mm, uh Um, which, which I think is, is kind of a great kind of wrap up to this investigation. Um, and, and personally, I feel like it, it kind of speaks to something that John Tenney is always talking about is that the phenomena wants you to play with it. Right. It it wants you to get out of your mundane world, go do something weird, you know, look up, uh, talk to trees, um, you know, go tell the ocean your problem. Mm kind of thing, you know, just, just, just interact. And so, um, they actually give Tenny a call. Um, and I don't know about you, but I found it actually really kind of cute how emotional Greg gets over Tenny.
2: Oh yeah. They, they, they have
3: a big bromance for sure. They, they definitely do. And, and I love it and it's cute. Um, and, and John Tenny is an amazing, incredibly, uh, well read and very knowledgeable weirdo. Um, (laughs) but one of the things... No, no, no. And I no, no, that was just a great sentence. I yeah, just loved no, it. and I And I mean it the way that, you I, know, the antiquated word weird means as an independent thinker.
2: Yeah, I know you mean it with complete love and respect when you say I that. I
3: absolutely do. I, 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 I absolutely do. Um, but I, I love because he's got this interesting idea of how the phenomena wants to be noticed but not discovered.
0: Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: You know? So you go... Um, Like you go to hell, you're with a focus and a goal and it throws so much weird at you that you get kind of overwhelmed and you don't know where to go with it.
0: Uh
3: And then you sort of give up, shove it aside, and then the phenomenon is safe again. Mm. Or it just wants you to go, hey, you know what? This world is weird, and that's cool. I don't need to know the mechanisms behind it,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right?
3: I don't need to know exactly what caused the David Christie email to exist. Mm-hmm. It it just it just existed, you know, or whatever. Now, personally, I like knowing the mechanisms yeah. behind oh, stuff, yeah. so I I get oh, yeah. really obsessed about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, I'm the same way. Yeah, and and next month, you know, I'll I'll definitely kind of like dive into some theories as to like. Okay, but what possesses this person who is definitely real uh. to email Greg? Like, how does that... Anyway, we'll look at that next month. Right, right. So anyway, things are wrapping up, um, and they're, they're back um, at Greg and Dana's place uh, in Cincinnati, and Connor grabs this copy of Flying Saucer in the Center of Your Mind um, and basically flips right to this 1972 article as we talked about earlier, talking about commonly heard sounds during times of ice strangeness, and there's babies crying and doors slamming. Um, and then uh, even stranger, right, later on, uh, you know, we jump forward a little bit. Carl's back in Colorado, because Connor and Carl are both from Colorado. Uh, and uh, he opens, uh, you know, he's doing editing. He picks up the same book and gets the whole thing about chimeras appearing as animated tin cans. Oh, it's tin can. That's tin can. Tin can. Like an old tin
1: can. Tin can. Tin
2: can. I just sound like a tin can. Totally weird.
3: Right, and that that is especially weird because you know one of the descriptions of the goblins in Hopkinsville, especially when they were hit by something, yeah. is the whole tin can sound, and I think it's the maybe like the grandma in the Sutton family, who literally is like, no, that looks like a tin can. Yeah, like a big old gas can
2: or something. Yeah, yeah,
3: like a big five-gallon can. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Exactly. Um, And so we've basically almost wrapped this up. And we need to remember... Right, this this wrapped around October of 2017. Right, that's almost five years ago. Yeah, yeah. Which is insane to think that it was that long ago at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that Greg says is that this is going to be shown to a whole lot of people, and they're going to think differently because of it. And I cannot think of a truer statement.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: That is definitely true for me. Mm. And. I think one of the things he kind of compares—I don't remember if it's the phenomena or just what too—but he says some strange virus. Yikes! And then I go, "Oh, Greg, if if you only knew that."
2: Talk about prophetic, yeah.
3: Yeah, and and we'll by the time we get to part three of our look at Hellier, we will we'll talk about Pan, maybe Demix too. I'm not sure, hmm. but I have some weird thoughts on that. And then the whole thing ends with an email ping. Oh yeah, and. Yeah. Having seen both seasons, any time that I watch this last episode and I get that ping, it just gives me chills. Oh,
2: yeah. Totally.
3: Um, Because it's like, oh, I know now what that means.
2: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
3: There's more to come. Yeah. There is definitely more to come. Not just in terms of story, but in terms of the next couple of months.
0: Yeah,
2: I am so glad that we're, we chose to do the whole Hellier thing over three episodes rather than two episodes. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> if
3: it has taken us almost two hours to record five episodes I mean, I gotta, of discussion. Um, yeah, I'm glad we're not trying to cl- cram ten into next one.
2: <laughs> I will say I love Hellier. I, it has the, like, the slick, professional look, high production value of a regular paranormal TV show. But the intellectual content is on such a much higher level than anything I've ever seen before. Like, sometimes I'll watch like a ghost hunting show just not to think but just to like have chills you know Mm -hmm. or to laugh you know Mm -hmm. hell year's the first paranormal show i've ever watched where i feel like i i should take notes or i have to actually remember things or think things you know um it's like the difference between playing chess and playing checkers or reading a book with footnotes and a book without footnotes you know um and you know i i think i think you're exactly right it's not for everybody i mean i think I think if you even look at the um, the YouTube hits, I mean, like the first season, first episode, there's like more than six hundred thousand views. When you get to episode fifteen, it's less than a hundred thousand views. So, I think like there's a lot of people out there that like eventually maybe like it gets overwhelming for them or something. I don't know. I don't
3: know. Well, um, or they or they get sick and tired of ads and they go watch it on Amazon Prime.
2: Yeah, I mean maybe that's what it is, but. <laughs> But honestly, I love it. I think it's great. Um, It opened my eyes. It definitely sounds like it opened your eyes for sure. Oh, yeah.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, That was a very erudite way of, you know, kind of putting it all. Hell, you're basically ruined almost any other paranormal show Mm. for me. I I can't look at a ghost adventure seriously. Uh Uh-huh. Um, a lot of UFO shows that rehash the same ideas mm,
0: uh-huh. and
3: the same events over and over again. I, I can't handle them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just one of those things where I hear them say out loud some of these concepts. And I'm like, like, are, no, mm. no, that just, I don't jive with that. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to hear that out loud. I'm going to go watch something else. Right, right, right. And I mean that with all seriousness. I mean, Year um, is shot so cinematically.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
3: Music the, is great. Thank you. The yeah. music is amazing. Um, I've got a link to Anthony Sistone's Bandcamp mm. page in the show notes. If you don't own the soundtrack, go spend the eight dollars. It's worth it mm. to get the whole thing. It's also on Spotify, but I think it's a better idea to support the independent artists mm. mm-hmm. um, and buy it. Trust me, you'll you'll listen you'll listen to it. You know until you're silly um because it's so good but yeah that's it we're here you know <laughs> we we've we've taken the first big step in 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 our three part initiation as uh-huh. as we kind of go through this and and make sense of it and convey to you uh the listener why this is important to us why we think you should watch it or if you have watched it hey maybe you're finding new stuff um and connections to make now and you thought we were you thought we were through everything. Um, real quickly, um, let's talk cipher hits for Terry Wrist.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, a secret fourfold. Hmm. Um, cowards professional. Hmm. Maybe I don't know. Uh, even ye know not. Uh, that's true. Um, hands upon the black. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Have a secret glory. Oh
0: wow. Now here's
3: here's the one that I think really sticks out to me. Terry Wrist equals one ninety two equals he is not there.
2: Oh wow, that's a good one.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Also, strangely enough, it equals in red ink
2: and black. Ooh.
3: Yep. Um, Terry Wrist also equals is infinite.
2: Oh, you were just talking about
0: that.
3: Yeah. Um, Now, one I thought was really interesting was that Terry Wrist equals of the 40s. Okay. Now, if we take it on faith that he was born in the 40s, he is literally of the 40s. That's true. So, I don't know. Just a few thoughts there. If you're still with us, folks, thanks for staying up. Um, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, wow, (laughs) I'm not going to get a lot of sleep tonight. But... Every month, Seb is going to dig in the old-timey newspaper archives to unearth a story of high strangeness. Seb, oh, let's hit this quickly. What have we got?
2: Yes, I will. It's a really quick summary. I'm not going to read the whole article. It's a Kentucky cave dweller article uh, from the Sonoma Democrat newspaper, June thirtieth, eighteen ninety four. This is a reprint of an article that originally occurred in or pre- appeared in the Louisville Courier Journal newspaper. Okay. Um, and uh it says over in washington county reigns a being which man or beast mystifies all the neighborhood for months the housewives have missed their chickens pigs and young lambs joseph ewalt had seen a man beast he had great long white hair hanging down from his head and face that was as coarse as a horse's mane his legs were covered with hair and the only article of clothing he wore was a piece of sheepskin over the lower portion of his body reaching nearly to his sober-headed men began to set a plan to catch the monster in a cave of considerable proportions. Early Sunday morning, the Boston family saw the terrible-looking creature. His feet were like the paws of a bear or brute with long claws. His hands were also, his hands also were like those of a feline more Hmm. than that of a human." The men went to the mouth of the cave, but would not enter. They saw feathers, bones, etc., scattered around the entrance. They made a partial survey, proceeding in several hundred yards. When one of the most, when the most unearthly yell the men ever heard greeted them, uh, they beat a hasty, hasty retreat and they gave up their search for another time. Dun dun dun.
3: Interesting. So
2: uh, you know, here we have, <coughs> here we have Hellier's story of weird cave dwelling creatures in Kentucky and I thought you know this is great this is a article from the 1890s talking about strange Kentucky cave dwellers so yeah hey, you know there's a there's a precedence for this kind of stuff out there you know so. there
3: absolutely is that's an interesting one I'll be curious to see what you've got for us next month mm. and speaking of that that is it for this month. Whoo, oh boy, thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us and especially parts of Kentucky every day. <laughs> if you've got an experience you want to share with us, or if you have questions, or if you have thoughts, if you want to just, I don't know, email us and say, hey guys, good job, email us at allnightgeeks at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at allnightgeeks. And you can follow me at BusBootA71. You can follow Seb at Clan McMuffin. That's right. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Joe's House of Podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us as well. And most importantly, Share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around, and we would totally appreciate it if you told at least one friend about the podcast. We want to give massive thanks to The Ghoulies for letting us use the same song that you hear at the very end of Episode 5 of Hellier, Hot Rods from Outer Space, from the album Midnight in America, as our intro and outro music. Please give them a follow on the social medias and hit them up at theghouliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. If you want to buy some of our merch, that's over at shop.spreadshirt.com N-O-T-L-G. That's right. Shirts, buttons, stickers, all that good stuff. Um, probably tank tops with this really hot weather we're about to have. But maybe uh-huh. after that, a sweatshirt because it'll be fall. Anyway, huge thanks as always to Kate the Steam Powered Pass for doing the show's artwork. Um, you know, I'm going to say we're still in the pandemic. A lot of people don't act that way. Um, but if nothing else, hey, let's worry about monkeypox. Anyway, it's important to help out local artists and businesses, right? Go buy the your DVD. Go buy the Anthony Hell Hellier soundtrack. Um, support them first. You know that's the important thing. They're they're out there making content. We need to show them our love. If you want to throw us a few bones, you can do that over at Patreon.com/NotLG. Whew. Seb. Taylor. It has been a long night. It has. It almost feels like it has been all night
0: <laughs> with
3: these living geeks but that is it for us this month we will catch you next month and in the meantime get out and go find something new. good night take care folks.
1: Maybe you can't wash that while are off.